Let's Glow with best-selling author and skin healing expert, Hannah Salito. Hello, I'm Hannah Salito. It's June 2020, the beginning of summer here in England, but quite unlike any summer we've experienced before. Much of Europe and America, and indeed the world, are only just beginning to emerge out of lockdown post-COVID-19. The earth feels like a different place, uncomfortably unfamiliar, a new normal, as it's constantly referred to. This week, the death of George Floyd in America, a black man who was pinned down and suffocated by police officers, has created a rising around the world. Protesters of every race voicing their anger in cities, social media flooded with the hashtag Black Lives Matter. And those of us from white privileged backgrounds who can't quite begin to understand are being asked to stop, listen and learn. I always strive to use my social media platform for good, to help people feel confident in their skin. Often this is about visible skin conditions such as eczema, acne and psoriasis. I, like many, took a step back on Tuesday, uncomfortable at not really knowing what my response to Blackout Tuesday looked like, what was appropriate, speaking out without offending or simply posting a black square because I didn't want to get it wrong. I think all we can do in life as individuals is speak from the heart, but more importantly, listen to other people's stories and learn from them. That's what's so amazing about this skin community, the one word which repeatedly rises above the rest in our shared battle with a very visible condition is empathy. There is a skin condition I'm less informed on. It's one I'm often asked about and less inclined to discuss because I can't relate from personal experience. I've suffered with acne, eczema and psoriasis so I feel comfortable and confident in talking about them. The one thing this week has taught me is that if we don't fully understand something, if something is not within our comfort zone, it's perfectly okay to reach out in kindness and ask questions. James McCoy doesn't shy away from conversation. He tells his story with beautiful openness and honesty. I almost feel ashamed at having spent so many years trying to disguise and cover up my psoriasis. James is proud of his skin. He has vitiligo, colour pigment is missing from one side of his face, but that's not the first thing I notice about him. It's his energy. I read an article where a journalist talks about interviewing James in a coffee shop in New York and describes this incredible aura and big wide smile that attracts strangers to him. We're chatting 3,000 miles apart via Skype, but I can feel that energy through the screen. And I know you will too on today's podcast. There's no doubt about it. James is very attractive and not despite his vitiligo, but because of it. This has shaped who he is and the work he does. James is that vitiligo guy. 
Hannah Salito's natural skincare range is available to order now. Featuring a skin soothing spray, scar minimizing oil, hair care, teas and tinctures. It's the natural solution to support your skin healing journey. Order now at hannahsalito.com. James, it's so awesome to see you and to speak with you. Tell me, how's New York looking this morning? Today is a little gloomy, a little um, a little rain, a little sunshine. I mean, for me personally, I just try to enjoy every single day. Every day you wake up is a gift, Hannah, you know? So true. It's rainy here as well, but the showers are much needed. It's been a very dry spring. Yeah, yeah. I see that you do a lot of garden work. So for you, it's perfect. You know, your plants and your vegetables can get some little rain, right? A little moisturizer so it can grow, right? That way you can harvest correctly. You're right, they do. Although, personally, I'm missing the sunshine already. We're still in partial lockdown over here in England. And I feel as though, you know, the country and as a society, we're going through this global change. We're seeing lots of Black Lives Matter protests, especially over here in the major cities. Yeah, yeah. So I know a little bit about what's going on. But in New York, it's, it's crazy. You know, it's just... It's just so a lot, a lot's going on. It actually changed my perspective as well about how to uh, address things. Uh, a lot of my clients are privileged, you know, they white and they don't know how to go about it and to like, how can they help? And they're good people. You know, I never, I never see color. I see people ask who they are. And that's my message. You know, I do a lot of public speaking around the world and I talk to kids and I talk to adults and, and I talk about my personal experience and I am very, uh, I'm very transparent about my experience about being different or ha- dealing with vitiligo or a lot of my adversities and my life challenges, my life hardships and anything I went through in life. I share my story with all colors of race around the world. And that's one, I embrace everyone, you know, and growing up with vitiligo, I have had vitiligo since I was 18 months old. And, you know, for me, I never seen color. I always thought about, wow, I'm different. Like, how can I get people to set me from all race? So I never really seen that I was African-American, I just wanted to show love to every, everyone and I want everyone to show me the same love back. So I think that's what's, you know, it's helping me cope through this as well, because my message has always been, you know, in quality, you know? Yes. And this is where speaking, honestly, it's felt so awkward for me coming from this white privileged background, seeing people sharing a black square last Tuesday and talking about Black Lives Matter. but. I see people as people. So then I'm wondering if I'm not understanding and instead needing to take time to learn, knowing that I'm so fortunate to have a social media audience to reach out to, but just really struggling with the right words. No, but it's fine. I, I get where you're coming from because you, that's not your platform. You don't have, you don't really, you know, you all, you, you know, deep down in your heart, you, you for all race, right? You embrace all race, but it might not sound right coming from your perspective. And I get what you're saying because people in the world right now is in in the frenzy where they just like black lives matter but because it's you know and it's not even about the black square the black square box the black square box is not for all black life matter it's something that the music industry did years ago to kind of say hey let's stop the day and 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 focus on what's do good in the world so it wasn't that that was like kind of misperceptive for most people people didn't even understand what the black box meant because everything happened so at once the protesters you know, the uh, Joy Floyd thing. So people thought it was for that reason. No, but the music industry, they do that every year, specifically. It so happened to land it on Black Lives that, that day. But the music industry do it every year, the same time, 
to get people to go out there and vote, do something good in the world, you know? So that what that message really meant. It was not for all Black Lives Matter. So a lot of people put um, Black Lives Matter at their hashtag, which they should never did. They should have put uh, Blackout Tuesday, you know? Because Blackout Tuesday been something that the music industry always did. It just so happened it fell on that day. Yeah, so that's what so a lot of people had the misconception. The reason why I know that, because I DJ professionally for years. I started off as a DJ. I do a lot of many different things as you get to know me, Hannah. But now, yeah, and that's why I really I knew that. So when I see people putting like BLM and Black Lives Matter, I'm like, this is not that. This is not the day for that because usually that's when vote primary starts, voting starts happening that same day on that Tuesday. So it's a way for people to stop doing what they're doing and go out there and vote. Do what really matters in life. Take a step back. It don't mean stop posting. Post information. Start, you know, getting people to go out and encourage people. So that was that was about with the music industry. That's what they did for that day, you know? Yes. And I think that's what prompted me to reach out and research because I am such an avid Instagram user, but often for posting and sharing rather than reading and researching. So I wanted to take my time to learn this week. And vitiligo is a skin condition that I want to know more about. And then I saw your happy, smiley, energy-filled video and just felt compelled to reach out to learn more about your story. That's the thing. You know, I had vitiligo since I was 18 months old. I'm 37 years old now. So I had vitiligo since the 80s, 83, I call. And I remember, you know, having the, the small spot just coming here before it filled in. And my mother, we didn't know what it was. We thought it was like a pimple. And it wasn't. So it just started spreading and spreading. So my mother reached out to a doctor. And the only one who really kind of knows, have the information about vitiligo is dermatologists. And dermatologists at the time didn't really know too much about vitiligo. This is like early stages of vitiligo. So I kind of mostly grew up, you know, thinking my skin condition was uh, um, a birthmark. We just said it was a birthmark. It was easy to say instead of vitiligo, you know, just growing up as a kid. Because it was a lot of many challenges that I faced from bullying and from school and everything else. Kids would call me mean things. And so we just said it was a birthmark. And then I remember my mother taking me to a doctor and there was these UVB lights, this lighting room where it kind of try to get your, your melatonin of your makeup of the skin to kind of get the complexion to come back. It's like being in the sun all day. Like most people, like color people go on the sun to try to get a tan, something like that. So that wasn't really working. And the doctor was telling my mom, oh, maybe by when he turned 11, his pigmentation should be fully back into place. So... You know, I remember, you know, just growing up with vitiligo, how challenging it was for me. But my mother was just so compassionate, so loving and, 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 and raised me to, you know, always tell me that I was beautiful no matter what. And just let, you know, let what's inside radiate. And uh, so, you know, there was a makeup that came out when I turned 11. It was called when I was 11, my mother introduced the makeup to me. It was called Thermoblend. And I was like, no makeup for me. And that's when I really knew that I was really confident and really like, this is not for me. And I've been wearing my skin my entire life. But as I got older, as I grew up and got older, I, I create a new spot every year where my vitiligo was the opposite. It's reversing. It was it like now it's regression on its own. So I, I figured like I feel like I have something different than most people who actually get diagnosed with vitiligo. My vitiligo is actually uh, segmental. And then you have non-segmental. Segmental is where it just stay in one spot and spread. And people who have uh, non-segmental, it comes around their eyelids, they around their fingertips, around their kneecaps, and you see different signs. But this actually zero point five percent of people who have vitiligo, which is seventy-five to ninety-five million people in the world that have vitiligo. And um, yeah, but there's really no treatment, no real, no cures. There's makeup, there's like laser treatment, but they don't really have the real research for it, you know. 
and and now you hear that if you have like thyroid issues, you have autoimmune system, it can cause vitiligo. But I don't think that's true. I, I've been living vitiligo my entire life. Never tried treatment besides going to that light room, maybe a couple of sessions. Didn't like it as a young kid, about five years old. Now you you, know, you get all these researchers saying, hey, this is this and that. But I think they still learn it as they go too as well. As well. Cause I've done talk to dermatologists and they still looking for treatment. They still looking for certain things. And um, that's why I'm not really part of any like uh, organizations or uh, of vitiligo because sometimes I think that I'm a disservice for myself because I'm all about wear your beauty, embrace your difference with swagger. Like I'm all about just wearing your skin, but I am for a treatment too if someone wants a treatment overnight. But I'm more like a support group type guy. Like, okay, this is who I am. I'm super confident. Like, listen, you could be too. Like if you have vitiligo and my message is just not just about vitiligo. My message is really to help empower others to overcome their insecurities and fears, no matter what they may be, and help them become their best self. That's my message. It's a broad message, you know? It's a broad message. It's a powerful message. You experienced vitiligo throughout childhood. It's incredibly visible to have any form of skin condition, especially on your face. Where did this amazing positive energy come from? Well, you know, Hannah, I'll be honest with you. Just everything is taught at home, you know, and I think, and I, you know, and I just don't talk about vitiligo because I did a lot of many different things in my life that I'm not happy about. And I can, I'll give you a summarizing who I am and what I represent because I, you know, I overcame a lot of challenges, a lot of adversities growing up. You know, I grew up in, you know, born and raised in 82, diagnosed with vitiligo. My dad was like an absent from my life. He had a big drug addiction. He was in and out of our life, you know, and having two other siblings and a mother that was just trying to raise the family, trying to put food on the table every single day. I grew up in a, an environment where it was poverty, where it was like, you know, I grew up in a, in, not in like middle class or privilege. I grew up where it was kind of so much a struggle. You know, I grew up in the, in the hood, the ghetto, what they would say. And um, I didn't really have real role models around me. You know, you have drug dealers, you have prostitutes, you have the, you know, to make it fast money scheme. Nobody. In our, my environment, or people that look like me wanted to achieve in life, unless they had a, a, a talent, like they, if they was an entertainer or they was an athlete and they was getting a big scholarship to go, you know, to go to these extraordinary places, that's all you would have seen. Or the other way, you, you make money selling drugs, right? So for me, it was a big challenge, Hannah, and um, not having a father there, not having someone there to uh, hold my hand or someone to teach me how to ride a bike or throw a football or, or someone who's you know, dare to teach me how to be a decent human being or how to become a man, you know? So that was a challenge. My mother did so much to kind of like do what she can do, you know? And then me at an early age, having a vitiligo, I entered school, first kindergarten, right? Kids to see me. Wow, what happened to your face? Who erased the other side of your face? Vitiligo was never life-threatening, but it was for other kids, I don't want to touch him. I'm going to get the cooties or I'm going to end up like him. So for me, Hannah, it was tough. And that that messed that for me, I struggled learning. I had a learning disability because I felt like I was so distracted. I didn't even care about the schoolwork. I didn't even care about what was going on. What I cared about was the kids, you know, becoming my friends or the kids not stop teasing me and stop bullying me. It was nothing physical, but the words, the words is powerful. The words kind of put me in a different frame, a state of mind where it was like, wow, I see myself as this ugly person is I'm attracted enough. But that I wasn't thinking like that when I was younger, but I was just thinking like, wow, why other kids won't play with me. And I remember going to my mother and saying, hey, mom, you always tell me that I'm beautiful and let it radiate. And, and you know, at the time, I didn't know what radiate mean, but I knew a beautiful name meant to me because she instilled that into me. But I said, the other kids don't see me as you see me. Are you lying to me? And so she was like, 
She didn't know how to even answer that as a parent because she's not with me in school every single day. You know, she's not holding my hand. So I remember just getting in trouble every single day, you know, making trouble, making trouble with other kids, having temporal tensions, like acting out. And so I was like, you know what, just to my, and, and for me personally, because, you know, I, you know, kids would not see me happy. I never smiled. So I was always just had like, like a face like this. What I did for myself, Hannah, and I, and I started working on myself at an early age, about seven years old, I, I can recall. I started going to school with a different approach. I started smiling at the kids. And they didn't really know how to respond to that. They're like, oh, wow, this guy is happy. We can't tease him no more. He looks happy because most kids is not smiling. So I'm like, I started smiling. And then everybody that I came across in the streets or outside besides school, instead of like being mad and being like letting them stare at me, I gave them a reason to stare at me. I smile at them. Hopefully they smile back at me. So every day as a kid, Hannah, I would collect smiles. I was like, oh, that person should smile at me. I go home. I got two smiles for the day. I got five smiles for the day. I got 10 smiles for the day. And every single day I would work on that. And that's what, how I boost my self-esteem. That's how I boost my confidence. And then I really found true honesty with myself. That's like around seven to eight. And that's when my mother introduced, you know, Thermoblend around 11. I'm like, no, mom, like <laughs> I don't need it. Why would I cover up now? And I've been living with vitiligo almost my, almost my, almost a, my childhood. I'm going to like my teenage years now. Like now if I, there's no way of changing that now, you know, plus I didn't really like the makeup and I know, and I really wasn't thinking that at the time, but it did make a water resistance. Like, do I have to take it off every single day? Do I have to put it back on? It's like I'm covering myself up. But I made a lot of challenges in my life. The really Another couple of reasons how I coped with vitiligo was I wanted to be accepted. So the only way I knew how to be accepted, I didn't really have no, no uh, male figure in my life. So I went to the streets and I got introduced to the streets for some friends and I wanted to be cool. I wanted to fit in. So I started selling drugs in my community. And that was one of the mistakes and terrible mistakes that I made. I didn't know better. I didn't have no better. But I thought that was a way of just like accepting and being cool, making fast money. You know, certain girls is liking me because I'm making fast money. I'm driving certain kind of cars, materialistic things. And just to, just to be liked and loved and being accepted. But, you know, that and I ended up in two years in juvenile because of that. You know, I got in some trouble. They put me in juvenile for two years. And I remember spending the time in juvenile. And that wasn't really like a learning curve for me because I learned what I can and I was just still young, reckless, you know, mindset wasn't even mature then. I got released from juvenile and I had a second opportunity to go back to the high school. And I'll be honest with you, I stayed in high school for about six months and I gave up because the work was too hard. I never really wanted to concentrate and learn. I was just attention. I wanted attention on myself. So I went back to my same community and destroyed my community, you know, and and sold drugs at a higher level scale. And I ended up spending five years in federal prison. And that's when I turned my life around. Wow. Two years in juvenile detention, five years in federal prison. Your mother, who had, by the sounds of it, always instilled this strength and, and positivity in you from an early age. What was her take? Well, you know what happened? My mothers can do but so much. And when you're in an environment, was going, if, you, if, she didn't, if she removed us, us from that environment, then things probably would have been a little different. But when, you, when we stuck in that environment, being boys is different. Like being, like my, my, sister, my sister, I got a sister that's amazing, but like for a girl, it's different. For young boys that's just curious and adventurous and that just want to do things and just to fit in. So my mother didn't really have no too much control over that. She, she can control what's happening in the house and then you become a reflection of that your conscious do. But once you leave them doors, it's a lot different because you have peer pressure. You have friends that willing you in and you want to participate. And if you don't participate, you feel like you're not in the mix. You're not cool enough, you know? So there's certain things parents can't do. She was disappointed. She was like, um, 
she's upset, but that was really kind of out of control. But that's a lesson in life that I learned. And that's why I share my story. So I get a lot of people who ask me to come speak on speaking panels. I'm like, listen, the only way I'm going to speak, I can't just speak about vitiligo. I got to bring my whole story in because that's my story shaped me into who I am. And I think if I don't share my whole story, I'm a disservice because I didn't have therapy. I didn't go to counseling. I, we couldn't afford it. I couldn't go sit to, to someone and say, hey, listen, I have vitiligo and talk to a therapist and say, how can I heal from this? I didn't have that. The only way I heal from that was going through these lessons in life. You know, if it makes sense, like I had, I, I got in trouble. I did certain things. I went to juvenile for two years. I was a high school dropout. I spent five years in federal prison. You know, that's how I coped through life to be accepted. So my entire life, instead of having the makeup on, I wore a mask being someone else who I wasn't, you know? And in prison, how did people respond to your skin there? In prison, it's like people looked at me like, I'm not messing with him. He looks crazy, you know? That's how people think. Like, they're like, he looks crazy. I'm not dealing with him. What can we do to him besides killing him? Like, we don't want to mess with this guy. Look at his complexion. And that's, it's, it, that's, that's how I view it. That's my perception because people have this weird imagination in prison. Oh, we can't do nothing to him because look at him. He looks scary as it is. But then I met people that was really good people and good hearted people. Like, I hung around people that was positive. Uh, I didn't hang around no negative. I, um, there's actually positive people in jail. People, when I tell the story, people are like, huh? Yeah, it's just positive people. People make mistakes in life. You know, that we own up and we, we uh, get rehabilitated. You know, we have time to think about our crime and what we did because all bad people, everybody who go to jail is not bad people. There's people that make everyday mistakes and never got caught. They just don't talk about it. Just, just live on with their life. And um, it don't make you good or bad. I think there's a point in your life that you have to forgive. You don't judge or you don't look at people as for status. You look at people for who they are. You know, and that's the thing. That's one thing that taught me. But, you know, I had a lot of self-doubts, too, when I got released from federal prison. I was like, who's going to take the chance on me? I'm a convicted felon. I'm a high school dropout. And I didn't have no skills of trade, Hannah. Like, what I know, the only thing I knew was to make money, go on a street corner, right? So that was the biggest challenge for me. But I, 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 changed, I changed my perspective. I changed my attitude. And I said, I'm going to take a chance on myself because I was tired of being weak and I was tired of taking the easy way out. So I got my, I got a, my first job at a sandwich shop. You know, and and I and I mentioned that because that was like the best thing that happened to me because I didn't really see myself as who I was as a person and people like me and I like dealing with people and that's just that transaction every single day. Have the best day. How you doing? I'm James. Welcome to Panera Bread. It was amazing because people see me for who I was and I actually exposed myself to like my true personality before I was in the streets. I'm just covering that up. I had to be a certain way. I had to be like a, a certain masculine. Like I had to have a different perspective attitude. So when I got into the real world and really got my job, it didn't pay much, but I loved it. I caught the bus every single day. And it was just rewarding. Like, wow, I'm really doing something great. And you know what? The managers and the general managers at that job was like, whoa, who are you? And they was a little intimidated by me. You know, they was like, nah. So they always try to, you know, they was at this level and I was basically here trying to get by, but I was hungry every single day and I wanted to do better and better my life. So you know, working that job and, you know, my personality was magnetic. You know, my self-esteem grew every single day working that job. And I finally wanted to become something. So I became a personal trainer. And when I started doing that, because I wanted to do something to serve people and I wanted to be a service. And I used to be like 215 pounds for living that destructive lifestyle. I was drinking every single night. I was partying seven days a week. So I had a lot of weight that I, you know, weight just from eating out every night, not taking care of the body. So when I got to federal prison, I started working out and I became, I got in really good shape. I felt really good about myself and my self-esteem was always there, but now I just took it to another level. And I'm like, whoa, like 
this feels amazing. So I said, you know what? Let me start. Let me start training. So I started doing some research. I got my certification. I worked at a, a commercial gym for a little while. I didn't like the atmosphere. I always had an entrepreneurial spirit. I got out of there. I worked at a few gyms, and then I started. Like, I was going to open my own gym, and then I didn't do that. So I said to myself, I started looking for places where I can do contracting at to bring my clients and just pay them as I train my clients. So I started doing that, and I started a method where I, I shape body, shaping body, shaping minds through self love and exclusivity. So a lot of my clients come to me just not for the physical aspect, but for the mindset aspect. And um, I was unfortunate enough to be blessed to be, you know, have great retention, having great clients for, for about four years consistently besides working at the Big Blocks gym. And then I started my DJing company back up. Um, I'm, a, I'm a book. I'm a children's book author. I don't know if you've read that. This is my new book here. I, so the pandemic kind of started every day. I would have been on the road. So this is my new book here, The Boy Behind the Face. I didn't talk about vitiligo in the book. I just talk about being a monster. And, and I wrote the message for, for everyone to relate. So even adults and kids was like, whoa, I don't want to be the scary monster. And then it, it just made it more open. Like I started off doing classroom visits and then it became more assemblies and presentations. Like, and I, schools is like, we need you for assembly. So I geared my book to more towards like character education, teaching kids like integrity, kindness, love. And it gave these kids a sense of self-respect for themselves and, and identify what they're going through. But I wanted to tell my story in a big, broad way where I integrated me being different, having a skin condition and the challenges and the situations and the circumstances. I never allowed it to define my life, you know, and how I became successful. My mission in life, to be honest with you, is to change the world one person at a time. For me personally, I just want to show the, show the world my face. I just want to show the world my face and I just want to show people that you can be confident. You can, you, you know, you can have the strength. You can be brave. You can be whatever you want to be. Like, you know, it's not what the world see you as. It's all within, within you. Like, it's what, how you feel as a person. But I've been teaching character education. I've been teaching people how to be a decent human being without even knowing it. Because that's who I am, you know? So that's, you know, that's the thing, Hannah, you know, but I'm, I'm very proud of that book. And it's like my first book and more to come. Like I got workshops in the book. I was in the prison cell for five years. I was isolated. Right. So I look at that perspective. Right. I, I, I call this prosperity to adversities. Right. So you could be doing this much in your life. Right. And then something just happens. Sudden change. Right. So I talk about this every single day when I do podcast interview. Like, listen, you have to challenge yourself every single day. I don't care what it is. Expose yourself to different things. Shake shit up in your life. Like, that's what I, I tell people, like, get out your bubble, get out your comfort zone, you know, and for stuff like this. Because at the end of the day, Hannah, right, you got to live every day the best way you know how to live and be the best you can be every single day. Because you could be on a curfew, right? So you could be stuck in the house for about almost three months, 90 days. You can lose your job. You, anything can happen during these, during these sudden change. So now I've been doing these gratitude sessions and just being thankful for everything that I have in my life and the people that's in my life and, and just being more available. Like if this didn't happen, me and you probably wouldn't ever have this conversation because I would have been on the road just being who I am. Right. So I just thank God every single day, Hannah, that it's like I'm connecting with people that I can bring value to and people who could bring value to me because I think like the collaboration and just, it's just exposing more people to different cultures different ideas, different platforms, and just bring everybody together. And that's what it's always been about. But some people just don't see it that way and just didn't know how to approach it that way. You know, but that's the thing, you know. So um, I'm blessed for that, and I'm blessed to actually meeting you. So now that's my new thing. Like, if people reach out to me and they really have a genuine sense, like, your message is very genuine. Because I get some people that are just super opportunists. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, how can I piggyback off James? How can I, you know what I'm saying? Because I, I had big companies reach out to me. Like, this guy got a lot of energy. 
how can we piggyback off him? So I kind of like watch the opportunities and stuff like that. I still have conversation with them. And if they don't feel right, I let them know. I'm very transparent. But I, I love that you 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 put, put you you messaged me and you was very sincere, you was very genuine, and you was honest. Like you know, I don't know too much, but I want to learn. And um, that's that's that, and that was like whoa, like okay, let's and that that was my little test. Of like okay, when is your time to chat? You know, let me know what day worked for you. Then I side note and said I have available all day. So once you said let's do it now, I was like okay, she's. But that was my little test. But that was my test to say okay, because some people see that and prolong it. You know what I'm saying? I passed your test, but I'll be honest, James, I was so nervous starting the conversation today. I really get nervous. I think we can all feel a little bit like that when the subject is outside of our comfort zone. But but that's what life is all about, Hannah. It's all about growing. It's all about growth. It's all about growth and development. And I have plenty of white friends, but do we have these conversations? No, but most most of the time, it's about the status that we are in, right? I'm an author, a motivational speaker, a DJ, a personal trainer. And I work, with, I do modeling for some companies sometimes on diverse campaigns. But so the thing is, the conversation is all about my status, not about, okay, James, where you was born and raised out? How was your childhood? So, you know, so I, you know, I meet a lot of people and I, you know, and I hang in a, I hang in a lot of like areas where it's um, demographically all white, rich, one percenters. And they see me at these fancy dancy gyms and like, and the first thing they say, say to themselves, oh, what do you do for a living? They think I'm an athlete or someone that's just famous. And I said, oh, okay, what do you do for a living? I give them an ego check. What do you do for a living? You know what I'm saying? And by the way, my name is James. That, you know, I checked the ego. Like, you don't, you, so a lot of people just prejudge just because I'm in a predominant white area don't mean that I'm an athlete, I'm a celebrity. I'm just James who works hard, just like you. And you know what I'm saying? It don't matter about a title. It don't matter about a status. Who cares if I went to college or high school or not? I went from selling dope to selling hope to be in the best energy dealer out there. So now I'm selling energy. That's what I do. That's my new, that's my new thing. I'm the best energy dealer. Like I went from selling hope to selling dope, but you know, now I'm the energy dealer. My story is the best story because it could be someone's transformation. It could be someone's like reality check, like, whoa. Because sometimes when we speak on platforms, right? It's like, okay, we do things for certain things. We try to bring our, our reality, our truth to project it to the world, right? And some people see themselves as us, view themselves as us, but they don't have the strength. They don't have the confidence to put their stuff out there. You sharing your skin condition, you sharing your everyday life. Most people want to do that, but they don't know how to do it. They don't know how to project it out there. And the thing is, that's why I, I continue to like be myself, be animated. I, I continue to be innovative. I continue to be creative and I continue to be my best self to show people, listen, you can be yourself too. Who cares about the stereotype? Who cares about the judgment? Who cares who's going to like your post? Who's not going to like your post? Everybody's not for you. And, and the world's like that. So once you can really kind of get over that hump of like who's going to accept you for who you are, because my entire life I've been working hard to get acceptance. And when I realized people will come in my life for a reason, people are going to accept me for a reason. People's going to enjoy my company. People's going to love me for a reason. I don't need to give them a reason why. I just show my character. I show my integrity. I show them that, you know, I am who I say I am. You know what I'm saying? So that's the, that's the thing. I show them who I, I say I am. And I never... And I always just stand by behind my message. I was always there behind my brand. And, you know, I think action have a lot of power. I think your words have a lot of power, right? So, yeah, so I just try to stand behind everything I speak about and, and be that true reflection or be that true, uh, uh, that true energy for everyone. Because I'm for everyone, you know? I love it, James. Your energy is so contagious. I just wish I could put into words how somebody listening can achieve this awesome level of positivity. You know, for someone who just isn't feeling it, 
Is there a theory that says, fix the smile on your face, fake it till you make it? I, I, I like to fake it till you make it, but I never felt that that was a, 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 a way of really saying that because it sounds crazy. Fake it till you make it. It's like, are you really genuine about who you really are? Or are you just projecting it out for people to like you, right? Because it's two different things. You could be happy, you could fake it till you make it, or you could find that real fulfillment. And fulfillment is two different things than being happy. You could just be happy in that moment. Or you could be happy because you watched your favorite Netflix series or a documentary or you had your favorite coffee or tea or you, your favorite plant came in. Or did you really find that fulfillment where just everything abundance and the joy and, and everything that projects from your core all the way up. It's just, you're just glowing. You're just radiating. And that's just who you are. And every single day you wake up, it's just this, it's just repetitive. It's just re- repeated. It's just like, okay, it's, ha- it's good to have good and bad days, but even your happiness and your joy and your fulfillment supersedes the bad days. And like, listen, I'm blessed. I am thankful. I am grateful for who I am, right? Because that's what your message is and that's what you instilled into yourself and you practice it so much. It's like a kid that wakes, like, it's like if you're studying for a test and like you're not studying as hard and you want to excel, like, because you have an A, you have a B, you have a C, you have a D, you have an F, right? So when you're studying, when you don't study, you don't get results. But when you study just a little bit, then you get that D. Then you study a little bit more, then you get the C. And then when you really put your heart put all your attentions on it, you get to be. And then when you say, listen, I really want to be the best I can be. And you start really focusing on one thing. And if it's your inner beauty or if it's self-care or if it's self-awareness, or you're just working on your weaknesses and your flaws, you work so hard at it every single day. You remind yourself how beautiful you are inside and out. That's when you start getting them A's, them A plus. And every single day, it always start at being good, great, uh, it starts at being uh, uh, greatness and masterful. And then when you get to them four things, you just become this projection of who you are and who you truly are to be. And that's when the success and you being fulfilled is like all of you. Like nobody can't take that away from you. You walk anywhere and you smile. You, you're just truly who you are. So I had to dial back in and find that true honesty with myself and tackle back into my roots. It's like, nah, James, you got to work on your weaknesses. Your happiness can't uh, compensate your weaknesses. No, you're not going to work like that. That's how people always fail. And I don't want to be like this. I don't know everything. Most girls or most men can't tell tell me what they think about themselves. Usually the prettiest girls will say, I don't feel, I feel like I'm too fat. And they like, perfect. You know what I'm saying? And like, it's, it's just, it's just crazy how people view themselves as, right? My message to people is just like, you got to find yourself, you know, you got to look at yourself and say, listen, what are, what are you worth? What is your, are you worthy? Like certain things like that. You have to, like for my entire childhood, I talked to myself. Kids would say, who erased the other side of your face? Cow face, zebra face. A lot of mean things, a lot of mean names, but I would say the opposite. I'm not the cow face. No one raised my other side of my face, you know? So, you know, this is the thing. You have to talk to yourself. Most people are afraid to talk to themselves or build themselves up. A lot of people are scared to work on their weaknesses. That's like some people are scared to work on negativity. Most people fear to work on positivity, right? So these are the things that you have to challenge yourself. Most people rather be negative. Most people like to be Debbie Downers. Most people like to start a business, but the process and loving the journey, they don't want to take the next step. They just want to jump into the business instead of learning the business. That's the same way I can describe with working on yourself as a human being, to become a better person, to become a decent human being, right? That's the little steps you have to take. It's really building yourself up. Things don't happen overnight. And we only human. It's okay to have good and bad days and feel certain ways about yourself. But I think the best way is to start working. Start, it starts with you. 
and that's the best. You no, know, I mean, I have to have someone to say, "Hey, James, I'm going through something. This is what I'm going through," and I can be like, "All right, I can observate that and say, all right, this is what you need to do, and this is how you got to do it.'" But you, it don't start with me. My words is just powerful enough and encouragement because people see me that I actually lived it. So people reach out to me all the time. I want to be confident just like you. I said, you can't be confident just like me. And everybody's journey is different. It starts with you. It all starts with you. But this is a lot of years of experience. You know, this is a lot of years of lessons, you know, stuff so for me to be like, I consider myself the happiest person alive. Like, you know, I, that's how I view myself as. And that's the confidence I have. I don't have no ego. I'm humble. But at the end of the day, I think sometimes humbleness don't get you to where you need to be at. But yeah, people just got to work on their stuff. They can't let their happiness compromise. You know, they, they, they sadness or they weakness. I mean, your, your, your struggles, your strength, you have to, you have to work on it. Everyone have to work on it. We all have, we all have something that we don't like. That is a flaw. That's an insecure that, you know, that we disagree with. That's part of life. I just want starting a podcast. Like I'm starting my new podcast, insecure to unstoppable, you know, and it's going to be like a short series, like, you know, two to three minutes messages, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, the most talking on t- subject, but insecure to unstoppable. Insecure to unstoppable. I love it. James, you're a superstar PT, a DJ, an author, a motivational speaker. It's such a journey that you've been on. Tell me, how do your family feel about everything you've achieved? Yeah, to be honest with you, I got an interesting family. I think they, I think this is kind of weird for them because my family still lived that mediocre lifestyle. My mother still had that old mindset, like very traditional. And I'm I'm like, I'm doing so much like that the most people won't even think like where I come from, the most impossible, but most people don't even want to do the most impossible. Most people just want to live average life, right? Most people don't even want to be seen or heard. Here I go with this skin condition, right? What I say to people, you got one life contract with yourself. Like when you're gone, you when you're gone, you're gone. So you got to live your life to the fullest. So, but I think my, my mother, she, she's like, I did a good job. She's proud of me, but they still trying to figure out in the back of their head, like, like how my son is not living average, how my son is doing the most, most impossible what most people want to do. How did he transition to where he's at? Because the statistics is like, you know, most people who go to prison, especially African-American, 85% go back. Or they don't know how to get their life back together. My darkness, I knew there was a light at the end, right? I wasn't spending a life in prison. I, I had an opportunity to go back home. I met some extraordinary people while I was in prison. I hung around positive people and I had a second chance at life, right? So what I do with that, Hannah? I'm gonna do the do the best I can. I can do the best I can do. I can be the. I can do the best I can be when I go come back home, and try to just you know if I can do the wrong things, how about trying the right thing, right? So I gave that a chance, and once I really found started finding that positivity and that honesty, one thing I can tell you: positivity always wins. Negativity always leads you in a dark place, always leave you with different thoughts and thinking, right? So I said, how can I elevate my thoughts? How can I elevate my thoughts? So I just started started just saying it to myself. I started elevating my thoughts to like another level of life. I'm like, okay, I'm the best. I can do better than what I did yesterday. Yesterday was yesterday. Today is today. I'm no different from you. You're no different from me. It's a choice. It's a, it's a choice. And it is a decision you have to make if you want to become a better you. Yeah. It's true. And it's a choice we all get to make each day. Your clients must benefit so much, not just from the fitness coaching you share with them, but from being in the presence of this amazing energy. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's the thing. Like, that's why I said my, my training is different. My training is all about shaping body, shaping minds, and self-love exclusivity. And that's why my retention rate is high. And I, you know, I'm blessed to be fortunate. I got some clients that we, we still train on Zoom and we train, you know, we do sessions that way because we can't go to the gym right now. 
and they're still training with me. You know, I'm blessed that people's buying books from me online, offline, direct messaging me. I need books. I ship them out to them. I'm blessed that I got merch that I can, you know, send out. And it's blessed, you know, to do uh, some talking. I got a big talk coming out June 27th. Uh, World Vitiligo Day. I don't know if you know Vitiligo have his own day. So they started. They started. They started it four years ago. I've never been to any other events. This year I was supposed to go to that first event to be a keynote speaker, and it was supposed to be in Minneapolis where everything's happened. So they reached out to me and I said, "Hey, I want to do a video chat. I want. I want to talk to you. I want to let you know who I am and what I represent." So we, I had a talk with the guy Patrick. I asked him tons of questions. And he was like, we're going to have a few thousand people come on Zoom. We want to do it for the first year, but we want to hire you as a speaker. And the first thing I asked, I said, okay, let me tell you a little bit about who I am. And I kind of just gave him a summarize. And I said, I can't talk about vitiligo if I don't talk about X, Y, and Z. I had vitiligo since I was a kid. Like, you're not going to get someone authentic as real as me to come and speak this message. And I go in there just like that now. And then you sit, then you're looking at the round table like, yeah, how did you get this position? <laughs> like, you know, and not to be like rude, but like you just say to yourself, like, how the hell did they get this position? I should be sitting at the round table. You should be sitting at the round table, you know? <laughs> I think so, because we can speak about this with passion and purpose, right? And that's what passion and dreams come from. Something that we didn't accept in life, but we turned it around to use it as our purpose and passion to project it on the rest of the world to be a service to others. Yes, and that's what I love to share with this community is the ability to turn this negative into a life-changing positive. And for me, it's the one thing that those of us who have battled with skin conditions share is an empathy and understanding of one another. And that's the thing. That's always how, how it always been. When you actually got a condition and you're struggling with something, you don't see a, a colored thing. You just try to get to be accepted from everyone that comes past you instead of getting upstairs and quotes and like, oh, what happened to you? So that's the thing. You always trying to get some something like that, but you're not looking at like, okay, he's black, I'm white, but you're looking at, wow, I got this skin condition. Like, uh, you know, I don't see color. I see my condition. So I think that I think now, hopefully, this, this Joyce Floyd and the, um, the Muhammad uh, Adu and uh, Bernice Rice, because there have been a couple of deaths throughout the U.S. state with a brutality from the police. And there have been a lot of injustice. I think a lot of the looting that's going on, I don't, you know, I disagree with the looting. I, I, I believe in peaceful protest. But I think at the end of the day, people, it's, it's, it's raging out of, out, of, out of fear and anger from things constantly building up. I can work from home. I can uh, start a foundation. I can start like a, a, a fundraiser of donations with my book from home. So that's the thing. And I just do that. You know, that's my way of like pushing the pen forward. And like yourself, like you said, I don't know what to do in this situation. You just, you know, find an organization or find something that you deeply in your heart that you want to do by paying it forward. By you paying, this, this is a good deed you did today. It's like reaching out to me. You know what I'm saying? Talking about having these conversations and just talking to someone, you know, of color, just getting a different perspective and stuff like that. That's a good. That's a good thing of, of really kind of getting out your bubble a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Getting out your comfort zone, a bit, or even reaching reaching out to me. That's a step. People said, James, wow, you're in a different circle. Because most people from my neighborhood, people who look like me, don't know how to break that stigma and say, listen, I want to hang out with a, a, a diverse group of people. And people always ask me. I'm like, listen, I, I joke sometimes, like, yo, you know what? Because I'm half white, half black. That's my superpowers. Like, you know, I always. White on one side, black on the other side, and people see that. But no, but I tell them all jokes society. I tell them, listen, man, you just got to be accepted. You got to be open minded to life. You got to be an open minded person. You can't just be stuck on one thing. And, you know, 
I started when I came home from prison in 2012. I started doing yoga. I started tapping into my spiritual side. I've been doing yoga for six, seven years now. Bikram from, you know, Vyasa and everything else. I really started. So that was a lot of stuff. I was really tapping into my like you, you like how you change your diet and everything else and have the perspective of eating whole food, plant based stuff that gives you super food. Super food give you a lot of energy. I, I, I believe in that because every time I eat spinach, kale, or spirulina and stuff like that. It gives me a different type of energy. Even when I'm eating oatmeal porridge, and you guys will call it for like breakfast and stuff like that, it gives me a different, I sustain a different type of energy. My endorphin levels like, hey world, how are you? Like, it's like, it, besides if I ate like, if I ate like a big greasy cheeseburger, and not saying that, you know, it's good and bad, but like if I had a greasy big cheeseburger with a, a, a large plate of fries, I'm like, okay, what's up? I'm sluggish, I'm tired. Like, it's, I'm, I'm lethargic, I'm fatigued. But instead of like that green juice and that just that maybe that healthy Greek yogurt I might eat with some berries and some fruits and some banana, I'm like, hey, what's up? Like the energy you sustain is different, you know. So I, I understand where you come from that because I do that sometimes too. I actually eat, I try to eat healthy as best to my advantage. I know what foods work for me and what foods don't make me that make me feel like okay. I don't never say I'm tired. I'm going to bed now, but like food that like I'm up, I'm energized, I'm ready to go. So I get that. And for what it did for you in a tremendous way, it helped you, helped you work on your condition, change your condition, change your skin complexion. I think sometimes certain foods do do that because, like, I can eat greasy foods and eat foods that had certain chemicals or whatever. If I never did no research on them, just speaking, I might break out with pimples. But then when I start eating with like, if I start eating a little bit cleaner, healthier diet, my face is just like super clear and just like whoa, like this is the way I want to look. And certain foods make me look a lot younger. My face started like trim down a little bit. And I'm just like, it makes my smile a lot more brighter. And it's like, whoa, I got to start eating like that more. But people don't have that kind of, like people need someone like yourself or like myself to kind of preach that stuff, to project that out in the world. Like, listen, this is, this is, this is science behind this. You know what I'm saying? And anything science is, is proof of like, this is what it is. It's real, you know? Yes. And it's why I love sharing stories and experiences and just learning from one another. And it's why this is such a joy speaking to you. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. And um, yeah, I'm glad that you reached out to me and I'm glad that we're having this conversation. Like anything you want to know about, like the whole movement about, you know, Black Lives Matter, please ask me, please like, you know, whatever you want to learn. Or Okay. So here's one thing that I wondered about. We've seen police brutality in the past, both in the UK and in America. Why was George Floyd's death different? Why has this created such anger and such such a change in in global attitude? Well the way the police did it, how he handled it, you got your knee on his neck and for nine minutes and then you're filming it and you got four officers standing around. Most of the, the brutality of policing is shooting or resisting arrest and you get shot you, you die right the police actually had an altercation with him took him out the car had his friend obtained four officers standing around and while this one officer got his knee on his neck nine minutes so and then it's like some like you lynching someone you're hanging someone from a rope but it's that was just it was it was different it was like a different type of brutality that was like you knew you was killing this guy while this guy was cr- crying out for his his mother his deceased mother, while this guy was saying, I can't breathe, officer, I can't breathe, repeatedly saying that. 
Like you think you have some type of compassion. You think you have some type of empathy. Like the just remove your knee from his neck after you have him handcuffed. So this was a lot different. This was not like, you know, you run down, you shoot someone, you see someone that like you just got hate at it. No, this was like different. This was that, I think that it has a lot of uniqueness to this, uh, to this, this uh, Joy Floyd is going to change the world with this one. I think he's going to bring a lot of justice that was injustice with police brutality. I think the legislature is going to change, you know, rules about how police going to actually restrain people, how they're going to go about different things. Everybody's going to be, uh, hold accountable. They try to say he had heart problem. He had, he had, uh, the coronavirus, a whole lot of shit that. The, they try to address it as, you know what I'm saying? And the police never reached out to the family, to all these officials and these protests got involved. So that would have been another thing that would have been under the table that nobody would never heard about this stuff. And then the way he died on TV and on, on camera phones, it was like, and America was already dealing with the pandemic. It was like, whoa. And then a lot of people use this as a reason to come out the house. But it's, it's just crazy that you see all these nationalities coming together. You know, I have a lot of white friends because I train a lot of white people. Right. And the thing is, is like that's like you see how my personality is. I'm a great person. But then they might have the other white friends be like, well, why are you train with that guy? You like brown color people. The thing is, if you don't say nothing, you the problem here. I'm training you and you you like my training. We became really good friends. But one of your white friends might say, hey, why are you train with that guy? And they saying, and that, not just me, period. They might be saying something bad about African-Americans, not even like even doing a research or history. And you're not saying that and to be defensive. It's like, whoa, you're the problem. You don't have these conversations because it's uncomfortable. You know, even when I go to these schools and I'm speaking to all these kids of different races, and I go to the predominant white areas. But once I leave that and I drive in my BMW or my Mercedes or whatever I drive, police profile me. All my customers, even though they're predominant white, they don't understand what I have to deal with as an African-American. That's the thing. I think people need to be more woke and like be more like more compassion just instead of looking at someone as like a, a, a brand or, or a status or or someone, especially a, a person of color or just like yourself, like get to know the person. It's not a black thing. It's a, it's a white versus black thing. And it's a all all people versus everything in different cultures. So I think what the country did now is got people woke because people now, people who's privileged or people who's super, 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 super white that just don't. Just don't get it. Now they watch national TV. Now it's like a, a world thing. They're like, holy shit. Like, I always felt being a, a black man was like, I always felt like I always had to go out my way first. You know what I'm saying? Because now if I walk, to somebody, walk past somebody that was white and I didn't smile, they might not even look at me and not even acknowledge me. But since I'm so much going out my way and always smiling, they already like, whoa, who is this guy? They want to get to know me a little bit more now, right? But now if I had a bad day and I had a hoodie over my head, they probably cross the street. But if a white person had put a hoodie on a white kid that's loved the hip hop culture, wear his Supremes, wear his Gucci oversized shirt and like his hat to the back, that's 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 all good. But as soon as I do it with my hoodie on, you know what I'm saying? I, I just read this quote the other day and I've always been spreading love and positivity. And it said, I love you. And you're probably thinking you don't even know me. But if people can hate for no reason, I can love for no reason. I think it starts with us, how we uh, how we treat others. And my message is always, you know, you want to treat people how you want to be treated. You want to fill your cup up with compassion, love, positivity, joy. You know, if you fill your cup up with hate and stereotype and judgment, that's how you're going to be as a person. So I think that's the same way with hate. Like people fill their cup up with hate. People just like, I hate that person just for no reason. You don't even know that person. So why can't I love you for no reason? I love you, Hannah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs>
<laughs> I love you too, James. That's the thing though, you know? I work with kids from all over. Once they hear my story, they're more intrigued by me and who I am. They say, I'm, I love you, sir. I love you, mister. I love you, James. And kids is just so compassionate. And that's one thing that taught me too, because I remember being a kid and, and a teenager and an adult where I used to go to grocery stores. And I would I would see a kid and I and I could sense a kid ready to point at me, ready to say, Mommy, what happened to him? And you can feel that, right? So for me, to be honest, I used to try to hide in a different aisle. The parents didn't really know how to really like say, I'm so they usually get defensive. I'm so sorry, sir. And now I got to the point, it's okay, it's just been alive. Or I tell kids, oh, it's my superpowers. Can I try to give them stuff that it, it can be relatable or they can engage with? Oh, why is your superpower? Well, because I'm unique and I'm different. You know, everyone you're going to see is not going to always be the same. But inside, they're the same, you know? So I try to explain it to them the best way I can. And they're like, whoa. I said, who's your favorite superhero? Batman or Robin? Like, you know, some people have, like, Superman and stuff like that. I said, well, I'm better than that Superman. I got superpowers. You actually meet me in person. So I try to give them that type of stuff. And then they say, what is your superpowers? Could every superhero have or a superhero got a superpower or a villain? I said, well, my superpowers is just saying hello to you or just say, giving you a smile or just saying have the best day. Or that's my superpower is my voice. I'm one of them good superheroes that just have a voice. So I'm happy that I spoke to you today. You have the best day. And it just gives me that type of energy and that type of spirit, how I t- took something that I, I was running away from so for so long, but you know what? That kid is innocent because that kid don't know what's going on, and that's why I said, you know what? I had to view things a little differently because that kid might be might be sorry for me or just showing some compassion or some type of love. So that's why that quote resonated with me. Like it just resonated in a big way because kids would say, "Hey, I love you," like out of nowhere because they don't know better. They're showing that compassion as adults. We think it's wrong to say it because they think we have to be in a physical relationship or you have to be a family or you have to be a spouse or a family member to say, I love you. No, it can just come out of the heart and just come out of the passion because kids are so innocent. They don't know anything about that. So when they see certain things or a toy or a human being or something, they feel like, whoa, this is compassion. I felt that connection. I love you. So that's the thing. Yeah. If it makes sense. It makes complete sense. James, it's been an absolute pleasure and joy to speak to you today. I feel like I have learned so much. It's an honor talking to you and getting to know you and know about your psoriasis and everything else you get to know about vitiligo and just having similar stories and how we overcame our stories and diversity. You know, it's just it's a great conversation. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Radiant is Hannah Salito's best-selling book. Featuring all the information you need to get started, a dedicated 28-day plan, and over 100 recipes to heal skin from within. Order now at hannasolito.com, via Amazon, Waterstones, WH Smith, or your local independent bookshop.